Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello, and welcome to Heritage Events Live, U.S.-Taiwan Partnership in Challenging Times. This event is co-hosted by the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy. Before getting started, I'd like to share a few brief housekeeping items. First, all our attendees are muted, but we'd love to hear your questions. Please submit them via the questions box. Second, a recording of this event will be available within 48 hours for you to share with friends and colleagues who are interested in the topic. Last and certainly not least, Many of us are broadcasting from our own homes, so we ask for your patience if there are any brief technical difficulties. I now invite the president of the Heritage Foundation, Mrs. Kay Coles-James, to join us on screen. Thank you. Good morning to all of you watching from the United States and good evening to those of you in Taipei. My name is Kay James, and I'm the president of the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today, and a special thank you to my fellow speakers, Minister Chen Ming Tong of the Taiwan Mainland Affairs Council, and Senator Pat Toomey, a friend of the Heritage Foundation and a staunch defender of freedom on China issues. I also want to thank the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy, which is co-hosting this event. Amidst the ongoing global pandemic and the rising tensions with China, the U.S.-Taiwan partnership is more critical than ever in helping us face these challenges. Taiwan's democracy is a beacon of hope, and it's why Heritage believes so strongly in this partnership. Even as the World Health Organization continues to exclude Taiwan from membership, Taiwan has set the standard for its handling of the COVID-19 pandemic with its transparency and global aid efforts. But this partnership is important in so many other ways too, both strategically and economically. It's absolutely critical to the security and well-being of the Indo-Pacific, where I need not remind this audience the U.S. not only has interests to promote and protect, but it's also an actual resident of the region with the U.S. territories of Guam, American Samoa, and the Northern Mariana Islands. The Trump administration has done more to support these mutual interests and values than any administration in at least the last 20 years. And while I hope that we maintain that pace, I'm more concerned how we motivate our friends and allies around the world to do more for Taiwan's security. Truly, Taiwan is under great threat today from China, more than it has been in decades. And I'll leave all of this and more to our experts today beginning with Minister Chen. Sir, it is such an honor to have you back at Heritage, if only virtually. And once again, welcome to all of you in the audience joining us virtually. 
Walter, let me turn things over to you to introduce our very distinguished guests. Thank you very much, Kay. I'm Walter Lohman, director of the Heritage Foundation's Asian Studies Center. It's my pleasure and honor today to once again introduce Chen Ming Tong, Minister of Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council. Thank you, Mr. Minister, for being here again virtually this year. Um, I also wanted to add my thanks to the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy and Ketty Chen in particular, a friend of mine going back many years now, uh, for co-hosting this program with Heritage. We have a long history with TFD, and I look forward to many more years of working together with them. I'm going to keep my, my own introductory remarks here very short, um, as the virtual space demands that. Uh, let me just echo what Kay had to say. Taiwan really is more important now than ever. Uh, both on issues of global governance um, and for its own well-being, uh, as well as associated American interests uh, with Taiwan's continued uh, continued autonomy and, and well-being. Um, a Taiwan under the control of the CCP is really in no one's interest, not now, not tomorrow, not in 10 years, uh, except for maybe the CCP itself. And even there, I think our job, Heritage's job, and people who consider themselves friends of Taiwan, uh, our job is to convince the Chinese Communist Party that any gain it might make absorbing Taiwan will not be worth the grief it'll face for the effort. Minister Chen has been looking at these issues his whole distinguished career. This is a familiar post for him. He served as mainland affairs minister in 2007, 2008, and he was deputy minister of the council in 2000 to 2004, when now president Tsai Ing-wen was, was the minister. Minister Chen is no, Washington, no, uh, no stranger to Washington either, and he's no stranger to China, having visited both multiple times. Um, he's also had a long career in academics, most recently as director of the Center for China Studies at National Taiwan University, from which he holds his PhD. So with that, let me turn it over to Minister Chen for his introductory remarks. Thank you. Good morning to all the distinguished scholars. Thank you for taking part in this conference. And those of you join us online, thank you for turning in. I would also like to thank the Heritage Foundation and the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy for holding this event. It is a great honor to have this opportunity to share with you the current situation in the Taiwan Strait and the Republic of China government's cross-strait policy. The central message I hope to get across today is that maintaining peace and stability in cross-strait relations is the joint responsibility and in the best interest of both sides. In order to unpack cross-strait relations, it is important to understand the China we are dealing with at hand. Recently, we have witnessed two major political agenda unfold. One was the United States presidential election, and the other was the 15th president of the Chinese Communist Party 19th Central Committee. Both events not only have impact on the domestic and the external development of the United States and China, respectively. But the 
the portraiting of United States and China bilateral relations, which in turn affect regional security as well as the global political and economical order. However, amid such change dynamic, the CCP continue to uphold the principle of the party this everything and advocate the superiority of its governance. Based on the experience of more than 70 years of cross-trade exchange, we believe that the lack of democratic reform to establish a new governance system has deprived the CCP to develop a breadth of approach and diverse thinking needed to pragmatically deal with risk and change. They say, as the CCP now faces rising challenges in dealing with the risk and the change, its decision-making and the governance model also feel uncertainty over international order and the global development. Moreover, Beijing's military threat against Taiwan has overshadowed China's image as a great power. Since the beginning of this year, we can see that the CCP has stepped up its suppression and coercion against Taiwan. Its military harassment has gravely undermined the status quo in the Taiwan Strait and the long-term status, understanding based on peaceful intention and mutual restraint between the two sides. The CCP aimed to use their action to create fear and psychological pressure among the Taiwanese people. The Beijing authorities also seek to force Taiwan to compromise under a political framework that leaves no room for the existence of the Republic of China, Taiwan. It goes without saying that what happened in the Taiwan Strait is in sharp contradiction to the CCP's leader recently claimed which stress that China will never seek hegemony or expansionism. Despite the effort on the ground to dispel doubt over China's claim to embrace peace, the CCP's regional military expansion is telling a different story. In fact, it is just a matter of time before things backfire and seriously harm the CCP's image on the international stage. Not to mention the CCP's aggressive action has already prompted neighboring countries to deepen cooperation to respond to and contend with China. Peace in the Taiwan Strait is the 
closely link the regional prosperity. They say Taiwan will continue deepening relations with the United States and engaging in international cooperation to fulfill our role as a responsible stakeholder under the Asia-Pacific security strategy. To be sure, over the past year, Taiwan has solidified our bilateral relations with the United States while forging close exchange and cooperation. With partisan support in the executive branch as well as Congress, Taiwan friendly bills will adopt an arms share package passed. This development powerfully demonstrates that the alliance between Taiwan and the United States is based on a solid foundation of shared value and the principles. Most importantly, by joining build an alliance with, of interest for security and prosperity, a robust Taiwan and United States relations help to deepen regional peace and interest. This administration fully understands what a peaceful and stable cross-strait relationship means to the security of the Asia-Pacific region and beyond. Therefore, as most of you may be well aware, President Tsai Ing-wen recently have once again reiterated that maintaining the stability of cross-trade relations is the joint responsibility of both sides and a call on to facilitate meaningful dialogue based on parity and the dignity. Looking for war and in line with Taiwan's firm commitment to maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, we would like to call the CCP authorities' attention to the following two points. First, peace in the Taiwan Strait is in the interest of all parties and the leader on the other side of the strait should shoulder equal responsibility. Taiwan is determined to maintain stability across the strait. We hoped that China could set aside its suspicions, stop thinking that it can achieve its political goal through coercion and instead deal with question issue pragmatically. Second, the CCP should move beyond the narrow political framework set for Taiwan and seek out possibilities for communication and the dialogue. The root cause of the continuous deterioration in cross-trade relations today is the political 
preconditions placed unilaterally by the CCP authority on cross-strait interactions. We call on the Beijing authorities to stop imposing their framework on Taiwan, but to show flexibility, wisdom, and creativity. Only when goodwill between the two sides can continue to grow, can there be meaningful dialogue to reduce misjudgment and misunderstanding. And furthermore, give our two sides the opportunity to discuss way to live in peace. Democracy and freedom have become not only the common value cherished by Taiwanese people, but a way of life in Taiwan. The 23 million people have the right to decide their own future. Looking to the future of cross-strait relations, it is important for international community to recognize and value Taiwan's contribution to global economy, security, and governance. As Taiwan stands fast to safeguard peace and stability in Taiwan Strait, international support of Taiwan's cross-strait policy helps to ensure that the liberal principles uphold by Taiwan and the whole world are not to be undermined. We would also like to call upon the international community to continue urging the Beijing authority to act in a manner befitting a great power and shouldering the duty and maintain peace. It's about time for Beijing to start acting with prudence and restraint without abusing its power. With these few remarks, I thank you all for joining us today. I look forward to learning from the many insights to be presented by the experts and the scholars here today. Last but not least, I wish this conference the fullest success. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Minister. It really is an honor to introduce Senator Pat to me today. Again, limits of the medium being what they are, I'm going to keep this introduction very short. Uh, Senator Toomey represents the state of Pennsylvania. Not much going on there lately, I guess. Um, he, he could spare us some time to be here today. Uh, he represents Pennsylvania in the U.S. Senate, where he's nearing uh, the end of his second term. Before that, he spent three years by design in the House of Representatives. Uh, Senator, you have a lot of fans here at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, I'm one of your biggest fans. I especially appreciate your leadership on all things economic. Uh, it's important as we engage in this strategic competition with China that we not lose sight of our own values, not least on matters of economic freedom. And, and I feel like you've kept our feet to the fire on that uh, during your time in the, in the Senate. So thank you very much for your, for your leadership. In fact, you've been a leader on a range of China-related issues, including Hong Kong and Taiwan especially. So 
we're very much looking forward to your remarks. And I, I turn the uh, I turn the screen over to you. Well, Walter, thank you very much for uh, your kind introduction. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank the Heritage Foundation for hosting this event and inviting me to participate. This is certainly a timely and really important topic. You know, Taiwan's future and the U.S.-Taiwan relationship in uh, really a very complex and rapidly changing landscape. So um, thanks for having me. I want to thank um, His Excellency Ming Tung Chen for uh, his participation and comments. And uh, a special thanks to Kay Cole James, the president of the Heritage Foundation, for her leadership of uh, this uh, really important and wonderful organization, the Heritage Foundation, as well as for her thoughts uh, on this topic. Um, you know, Walter, uh, when I um, think about uh, Taiwan, um, I think of Taiwan as simultaneously one of the United States' greatest friends and partners, certainly in the Indo-Pacific region, uh, but also um, of immense geopolitical importance given the great power competition that is well underway between the US and the Chinese communist government on the mainland. Um, and when, when we think about the US-Taiwan relations today and, and where those relations are heading, I think it's important as, as it is in, in many cases to keep the relationship in the context of the recent past and to, to remember that past. And, and we shouldn't forget, Taiwan was not always the economically prosperous and politically vibrant society that it is today. Uh, in the late 1940s, Taiwan was a very different society, an impoverished island racked by hyperinflation, controlled by an authoritarian government under a one-party uh, political system. But then economically and, and with support and encouragement of the United States, the Taiwan government began implementing a series of very, very important structural reforms in agriculture and education, began to liberalize their economy, and what happened as a result of the Taiwanese government and the Taiwanese people embracing economic freedom? Well, in a nutshell, we saw unbelievable economic growth uh, to the point where Taiwan, of course, has famously uh, been referred to as one of the four Asian tigers together with Hong Kong and Singapore and South Korea for the really, really remarkable multi-decade period of tremendous economic growth and prosperity. Um, today, the Heritage Foundation with the Wall Street Journal and the Journal of Economic Freedom ranks Taiwan as the 11th freest economy in the world. It's higher than Germany, Japan, and sadly, it's higher than the United States. It's the source of Taiwan's prosperity. And for anybody who's wondering, China ranks 103rd. But it's not just tremendous economic success, of course, Taiwan has changed politically. It was an authoritarian government really until the 1980s, but during that decade, popular pressure began to build and it really forced a liberalization on the political system. Taiwan held its first direct presidential election in 1996, and since then has participated in three peaceful transitions of political power, including alternating political parties. So Taiwan features now a vibrant, competitive, multi-party democratic system. And the fact is democracy is alive and well in Taiwan. So 
sometimes uh, an American might ask, well, okay, that's nice, that's interesting, but why is it important? And, and specifically, why is it important to the United States? That Taiwan's transition from a closed authoritarian island into a beacon of representative, representative government and free enterprise is absolutely remarkable. But Taiwan is not just a great example of democracy and the rule of law in the Indo-Pacific. It's not just a great defender of liberal values and upholding international rule-based order. In my view, Taiwan is an important force for good in the world. It punches above its weight in a neighborhood that's increasingly being darkened by the pervasive shadow of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and, and we should be clear about that, right? The Chinese Communist Party is a, a threatening and increasingly aggressive force. Um, looking to impose its malign power and influence certainly on its own citizens, but also on its neighbors, and it appears the world at large. There are many, many disturbing examples of the recent sort of downward spiral, if you will, of the Chinese Communist government in Xinjiang, up to two million Muslim minority Uyghurs that have been imprisoned in re-education camps, re-education camps, widespread forced labor, forced sterilization. Systematic destruction of mosques and holy sites like graveyards in an appalling attempt to basically wipe out an entire culture. These are terrible crimes are taking place there. I personally call this genocide, and I think the U.S. government should do so as well. Or you could take the very recent history of COVID. The Chinese Communist Party engaged in a systematic cover-up in its own role in allowing this virus to spread. The CCP knew that COVID was transmissible from human to human back in December of 2019. But instead of informing the international community about the true threat that COVID-19 uh, implied, the CCP allowed millions of Chinese citizens, including Wuhan residents, to travel abroad where they would inevitably be vectors for this disease. In fact, it was Taiwan that first raised the possibility of COVID being transmissible by humans to the uh, WHO. But of course, the WHO um, ignored that warning um, because of its influence from China. Um, there's the ongoing cyber theft. The U.S. government believes that Chinese theft of American IP and trade secrets is valued at several hundred billion dollars every year. There's the extensive militarization of the South China Sea, including the creation of these artificial islands and imposing illegal maritime claims over the waters of uh, all over Southeast Asia. In Hong Kong, of course, we've witnessed the national security law, a uh, very, very disturbing effort to silence free speech, democratic norms, uh, eliminating the rule of law. Uh, thousands of Hong Kong activists have been wrongly arrested for opposing the Chinese Communist Party's rule. And so at a time when the CCP's appetite for aggression continues to grow, Taiwan is really on the very front lines of the CCP belligerence and is probably directly in the crosshairs of the CCP sites. Xi Jinping has said that Taiwan, quote, must and will be, end quote, reunited with the mainland. So it's important to ask, what, why is it that the CCP so desperately wants to subjugate Taiwan? 
Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Certainly part of it is the longstanding historical and nationalistic goals. But more importantly, in my view, the Chinese Communist Party is terrified that its own population will look across the Taiwanese Strait and ask a simple question. They'll ask, why can't we live in a country and a society that has the prosperity and the economic and political and social freedoms that Taiwan enjoys. See, Taiwan's very existence is a danger to the CCP because it is proof that democracy, liberal values, and prosperity can flourish in a society with such close historical, linguistic, cultural, and ethnic ties to those of mainland China. It's also important to place the CCP's belligerence toward Taiwan in an even larger context. You know, at, at the end of the Cold War, there was this prevailing sentiment throughout much of the West that political liberalization through democratic reforms and economic liberalization through market economies were so ascendant and so obvious and so powerful that we thought the principles underlying this progress was going to prevail everywhere, right? That, that we had defeated the values upon which dictatorships and tyranny and closed societies rely. Well, it turns out we declared victory a little prematurely. Today, the great struggle of our time is between two battling camps that are vying for influence and allies throughout the world. There's the side of freedom and democratic government, the rule of law and economic prosperity through market economies on the one side, and on the other side, there are the authoritarians, the censorship, the propaganda, systematic denial of human rights, corruption, and government-managed economies. We know which side the U.S. is on. And sadly, the Chinese communists are on the other side. And this is a struggle. And it's an important point. This is a struggle that directly impacts Americans here at home. Every step forward that the other side takes is a danger to our security and our financial and economic well-being. And Taiwan is arguably the tip of the spear in this contest. Taiwan is a democratic, market-based economy, a free society, literally on the doorstep of the Chinese Communist Party dedicated to destroying those principles. This is why deepening U.S. support for Taiwan is so important to the United States. And there are a number of ways we can do that. We can strengthen the U.S.-Taiwan partnership, which is strong, but could be even stronger. Um, we can enhance diplomatic support for Taiwan, for instance, push back on the CCP's efforts to exclude Taiwan from international organizations like the World Health Organization and the U.N. We could establish regular higher level government to government exchanges between the U.S. and Taiwan. I was encouraged to see Health and Human Services Secretary Azar's trip to Taiwan in August as a great example of that. I think Washington should also formally host Taiwan President uh, Tsai Ing-wen. And we've got to continue the U.S. support for Taiwan's self-defense. We should continue weapon sales that are designed to bolster Taiwan's asymmetric defensive strategy, include Taiwanese military forces in military exercises with the U.S. and those of our allies, and upgrade the status of American defense attache in Taipei to be a general or a flag officer. We can also do more to grow bilateral economic ties between the U.S. and Taiwan, especially trade ties. 
I think we should pursue freer trade with all of our allies. It's an economic good in and of itself. Trade leads to greater efficiency and gives access to more goods and services at lower costs and at better quality. It leads to more options for consumers and more choices. More competition means better prices. It, it leads to more opportunity, increased access to capital and lower cost of inputs encourages investment and economic growth. And the result of all of these advantages is that people, Americans, have access to better jobs, higher pay. In short, freer trade leads to a higher standard of living, a higher quality of life for the people who get a chance to participate. And we've got a particularly attractive opportunity to expand trade with Taiwan. Strengthening those trade ties with Taiwan would benefit us both in security terms and in economic growth for U.S. Taiwan, certainly, but even the Indo-Pacific region as a whole. Taiwan is already our 10th largest trading partner in goods. And according to the IMF, Taiwan is the 20th largest economy in the world, which is amazing since there are only 23 million people in Taiwan. But it is enough people to be a huge export market for American goods and agricultural products. Today, half of Taiwan's trade and 80% of its investment is with China or Hong Kong. The U.S. can provide an alternative path. One of the things that we need to bear in mind as we go down this road, I hope, of expanding our trade and liberalizing trade with Taiwan is we should have free trade, not managed trade. We should have a free trade agreement that is based on maximizing free trade in goods and services as well as the movement of capital. Sometimes in the recent past, the U.S. has taken a turn towards uh, more towards managed trade. I think the USMCA was a missed opportunity to have a pure tr free trade agreement, but we don't have to miss this opportunity with Taiwan. The goal of the agreement should be to lower barriers to trade and investment, preferably to eliminate barriers to trade and investment, and we could do that. Um, I intend to introduce this week a Senate resolution in support of a U.S.-Taiwan free trade agreement. And since the economic cooperation framework of 2010, Taiwan has expressed a desire to pursue new free trade agreements. And we should credit Taiwan for coming to the table to negotiate with the U.S. Uh, Ractopamine, the ban on uh, pork set to be lifted in January 1st of um, 2021. Now, this was a ban on certain American beef and pork products that were produced with this hormone due to, quote, health and safety concerns. But the scientific consensus shows that this is a completely safe product and it really was protectionism in disguise. And it is very much to the credit of the Taiwanese that they have decided that uh, that is no longer going to be a criteria for uh, banning American products. Um, the U.S. should come to the table as well, and 50 senators, including myself, have signed on to a letter encouraging a free trade agreement with Taiwan. Let's start the negotiations. We've got outstanding issues that can be addressed through this process. And again, the deal should be comprehensive. Not a mini deal, but it should include everything, manufacturing, services, technology, agriculture. Um, the, the, Taiwan, as I say, is already a very large uh, market for U.S. agricultural products, but it can become bigger. Um, to those who are still concerned about some American practices in the agricultural space, the solution is labeling. Label meat products that disclose hormones, for instance, and then let consumers decide uh, what their preference is. 
we should also look to increase trade in vehicles and vehicle parts and machinery. The ITC found that the U.S. industries would, these are the industries that would benefit the most from a free trade agreement with Taiwan. And the similarity of our two countries' values gives an opportunity for setting important standards on digital trade. The deal should include high quality chapters on data privacy and cross-border data flows. A true free, to free trade agreement would be worthy of the highest values of our countries and would serve as a template for future free trade agreements as well. So let me conclude by simply saying, um, Taiwan is a genuine and important friend to the United States and to the American people. Its success in becoming a thriving democratic and economically prosperous country is a testament to the Taiwanese people who achieved that by pushing for liberalization and economic and political freedom. Taiwanese leaders helped make that happen. But today, the Chinese Communist Party's aggression around the world and towards Taiwan specifically is a threat to freedom and liberty of people in our camp, in the United States and our camp for expanding freedom. Taiwan is central to the struggle and the US and our allies need to stand with Taiwan against the CCP's efforts to pressure and coerce it into submission. And let me make an important point. There's no other country in the world that can do this. The United States is uniquely positioned, has been for a long time, to advance and to continue to advance the moral leadership for personal freedom, human rights, democratic societies, and market economies. There's no substitute for American leadership on this. And that's why one of the reasons why we need to step up. In addition to tangible material support from the US, I've articulated what some of what look, looks like the case of Taiwan, America's assistance to Taiwan. The US must continue to give hope to those around the world who are striving for freedom. There's no other country that can step into this role. And I'm committed to doing what I can in the U.S. Senate to help make sure this happens. Thanks very much. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Senator. That, that gave us a lot of uh, lot of food for thought there. I, I really appreciate the, all the facets that you've presented us. Um, I wanted to start, if I could, asking a couple questions on Congress's role, um, because uh, Congress is so central to U.S.-Taiwan relations, unlike really any other issue, I think, uh, any other sort of area of the world, it plays an important role in, in keeping the United States committed and focused on, on Taiwan. Um, and there are a lot of things going on in Congress with regard to Taiwan. The most active period I can remember ever, honestly, and I've been following this longer than I would like to, I'd like to admit to, um, there's a couple of bills in particular I was going to ask you about. One is called the Taiwan Invasion Prevention Act. Um, sounds like, uh, you know, it's obviously good intentioned, um, but I wonder if you, if you've had a chance to look at that, do you, what do you, what do you think about it? Yeah. So my understanding is that I think this is legislation that's been introduced by Senator uh, Rick Scott of Florida. Right. Um, here, here's my concern with this. And I do think it's certainly uh, with all good intentions, but, my understanding is that um, what this legislation would do would be essentially pre-authorize a military uh, response uh, in the defense of Taiwan. Uh, it would pre-authorize, it would be a pre-authorization by Congress and it would give the president, this president or a future president, an enormous amount of latitude to deploy military force um, 
in, in the region. I, I'm concerned, Walter, about the fact that for decades now, Congress has been shifting too much of its own authority to the executive branch for a variety of reasons, but it undermines the accountability that uh, Congress should have. So I, I think uh, rather than have a pre-authorization that gives what looks like a blank check to the to a president or a future president, I think we really need to be prepared to consider the circumstances that prevail at the time. It's impossible for us to anticipate fully the environment we might be in in the future. So I, I think it's um, I'm not comfortable with sort of a pre-authorization for some future president um, to uh, engage in force without uh, Congress evaluating it at the time. Okay. Um, another uh, another piece of legislation I wanted to ask you about is something that uh, Senators Rubio and Merkley have introduced called the Taiwan Relations Reinforcement Act. seems like its principal intent is to give some cover to companies that are being pressured by the Chinese to um, alter their business practices, the way they talk about Taiwan online and that sort of thing. One, what do you think about that? And, and two, in light of it, um, what do you think we can be doing? Is there anything that the U.S. government can do to shield companies a little bit, to give them a wiggle room to be able to treat Taiwan in a in an appropriate in an appropriate way, not just in the way that the Chinese order them to? Well, you know, I think we 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 don't want to uh, force companies to adopt a particular um, uh, profile or approach with respect to Taiwan or or mainland China for that matter. But, you know, but we can speak out when uh, it's important. So, for instance, when prominent athletes criticize their fellow athletes who advocated for the freedom fighters in Hong Kong, I, I think that's uh, a very, very unfortunate development. And, and we ought to speak out. Um, by all means, I think we should have solidarity with the people of Hong Kong who are asking only for the ability to exercise the freedoms that the Chinese communists promised them. Uh, similarly, with Taiwan, I, I think, um, you know, American business should um, should be very, very careful about kowtowing and, and making concessions to the Chinese government. I'm a little, I'm going to be very cautious about um, the federal government imposing a code of conduct, so to speak, uh, but uh, we should we should speak out and expect that our corporate leadership uh, will will do the right thing and will not simply capitulate to what um, Chinese communists want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but you know that sparks another question about um, uh, a sort of approach that seems to be gaining steam on Capitol Hill and the Senate in particular, and that is an approach to supply chains, sort of helping companies manage supply chains in a way that. Uh, excludes the Chinese, um, um, particularly in areas that where there's security sensitivities. But you know that's always sort of in the eye of the beholder. It's amazing right. the things that get wrapped up into security once you start putting it through the sausage factory on Capitol Hill. Um, so I, I wonder what you think about that and whether what you think about Taiwan's role in it, because because. Taiwan's often talked about as a, an alternative or as a partner that we can use in order to lessen our United States uh, reliance on Chinese technology. 
Um, how do you think about that whole uh, basket of issues? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's an awful lot there. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot to wrestle with. Um, first, I think we should, um, you kind of made an uh, indirect reference, Walter, to the, the fact that, you know, national security can be in the eye of the beholder. The current administration, in my view, has misused the um, some of our legislation that's designed to uh, impose tariffs on um, items that have a national security implication, misusing that to put them on steel and aluminum products, for instance, from our nearest neighbors and closest friends and allies. That was an abuse of that power. I also think it's important to remember that our relationship with mainland China, the economic relationship, our trade, has been beneficial to the United States. I know it's often characterized differently, but there's a reason that we have uh, engaged in a large scale trade with China. It's because it's been good for us. Uh, trade is obviously, after all, uh, voluntary transactions. We shouldn't lose sight of that. Now, having said that, there are significant legitimate national security concerns that we can't ignore. You know, one of the fascinating and most important such areas is the production of semiconductors. Taiwan actually leads the world in the manufacturing and production of the most sophisticated, most advanced semiconductors. They manufacture a generation of semiconductors that only they, the United States and Israel, are really capable of, of producing. That's um, very, very important that we retain that ability ourselves and that we work with the Taiwanese. I was very pleased to see a Taiwanese company making a commitment to invest in a major fabrication facility in the United States. That's that's another strengthening of our of our ties in an area that's extremely close. Look, I think on on most uh, for the most part in most categories American businesses have witnessed and lived through this uh last several years in which our relationship with China has been strained. And the president, President Trump, to his credit, has called out some very bad Chinese behavior. Having seen that, there's, as you know, a very, very broad effort underway for American business to diversify its supply lines. And I think that's likely to continue. That's probably a good thing. Um, and Taiwan can and I think should play a, a big, big role in that. And, and there's a role for the U.S. government in, in facilitating that? Well, um, let's be careful with that. I mean, for genuinely, truly uh, national security related um, uh, goods, uh, then yes, I think the answer is yes. Um, you know, we uh, also with respect to investment, I mean, we've we've strengthened CFIUS, the um, internal process by which the U.S. government reviews uh, foreign investments. Um, so, yes, there is a role, but I don't want to see our government. Um, um, overplay its hand in that regard and start to use um, national security pretense to limit trade in non-security goods and services. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm certainly with you on that. You'll find a lot of, lot of agreement uh, in our building anyway about, the, about that. Um, since we're sort of on this broader topic, um, you talked about, um, uh, an FTA with Taiwan. You're going to introduce right. something this week on that. Um, that I, I guess our ability to get there, and we've already experienced this a little bit in the last few weeks since Taiwan made these new moves on beef and pork. Right. Um, our ability to get there depends, 
I'd say I would say partly, but actually it depends largely on the trade debate more generally in Washington. And uh, it has not been going in the right direction in the last right. several years. Uh, so I thought I'd ask you, um, where do you think we're headed on trade policy in the last two to, in the next two to four years? How are how's the caucus thinking about it? How are how's Congress generally on that? Where, where, where do you think we're headed? Well, so obviously the Trump administration has been skeptical about free trade, and 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 I think um, there are divisions within the administration. You have some, even at the White House, who are big advocates of expanding trade and free trade agreements, and then you have others who are certainly protectionists who would dramatically curtail trade. That is new. We haven't had an administration that is so ambivalent about trade in a very long time. Republicans, of course, as you know, have historically been very supportive of expanding trade, and it's our Democratic colleagues that we've had to drag along, with the general exception of Democratic presidents who've been pretty good about expanding trade. So my point is, it's gotten complicated, and in some ways, uh, it's been reversed. But having said that, even this administration has um, been making attempts to move forward in some years. So a UK-US free trade agreement, which makes all the sense in the world. And the, this administration has acknowledged that and has engaged in some discussions. Um, there has been an acknowledgement that we should have free trade agreements with various East Asian countries, which I think we should. Um, so it's been, I would say, mixed among Republicans. Uh, Joe Biden has a history of supporting uh, some of these uh, broader free trade agreements. So I think that is encouraging. And here's the other factor that could help us regain momentum in the uh, effort to expand trade. And that is, especially with respect to a country like Taiwan, but, but also with other countries of East Asia, it's an important geopolitical uh, strengthening. It's an important way to provide a check on China's ambition. It's a way that we can establish the rules of the road for international commerce that's consistent with what we believe is right about respecting intellectual property, for instance, and minimizing government interference. So those, those arguments, I think, are important arguments in addition to the fundamental argument about enhancing our, our economic well-being. And so I'm hopeful that um, we could see movement in the direction of a free trade agreement with Taiwan. And at and I think that uh, Congress has a role. That's why I'm taking the position that I am, and I intend to uh, push the new administration to move in this direction. Well, that's good news. I um, it it also comes back to something you said earlier about the content of these agreements. Um, so we want free trade agreements, uh, right? I mean, it's not just a trade agreement. It's not managed trade. We're trying to get right. to the free part, and it's been a little bit. Uh, challenging sometimes to talk about it in those terms. The Japanese don't want to call it free. Uh, the Taiwanese actually not that comfortable calling it free. And right. most of Washington, even the ones that support free trade agreements, are beginning to drop the word free out of it. So uh, I couldn't agree more with you on that point. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sad state of affairs when there's something wrong with the word free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, really, would, would, you want coerced? I mean, yeah, you know. right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, actually, many people do. <laughs> I know, I know, and we we we've got to uh, we've got to push back hard on that uh, idea. 
and continue to um, point to the obvious tremendous advantages of genuinely free trade. Free reciprocal trade with no barriers is, is the optimal economic arrangement between two countries, just by the way, as they are between and among all 50 United States states. Um, fortunately, it's never occurred to anybody to seriously suggest that Pennsylvania erect trade barriers around itself. In fact, it would be a violation of the Constitution. No, nobody's ever questioned that somehow we'd be better off in Pennsylvania if we had huge tariffs on products coming in from Ohio. Um, well, the same is true about nation states. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to prevail. Yeah, and it's our it's our great strength as a country too. It's it's competing on the ground that we compete best on, uh, liberalized markets. That's exactly right, and and it is worth pointing out that even with the uh, exceptions uh, imposed by the the current administration uh, in the form of tariffs on uh, a couple of commodities and some Chinese products, even with that, trade international trade overall is still in a very, very liberal mode. Uh, we have about the freest trading environment we've had in 100 years. And with that free trade environment, we achieved the strongest economy of my lifetime. Mm. Where earlier this year, we had record low unemployment, accelerating wage gains, a narrowing of the income gap. I mean, everything was really looking terrific before this pandemic hit. And that happened in part because we have had such a free trading environment. Right, right. Well, we got time maybe for one more question here. I, I wanted to not um, miss the opportunity to ask you about Hong Kong because you have been a real leader on Hong Kong too. And I and you spent some time there earlier in your career, as I understand it. Right. Um, where do you see the lessons uh, there in Hong Kong for what's you know down the road for Taiwan, and and how does that impact? Um, or how should it impact decision-making in Congress as we approach uh, issues involving Taiwan? Well, I think we have to be very, very concerned that Hong Kong is the canary in the coal mine in a way, right? I mean, Hong Kong obviously has a different legal status than Taiwan, but the status of Hong Kong um, and, and the, the legal commitments that the Chinese communists made with respect to Hong Kong, they're, they're clearly violating them. They're clearly suppressing freedom. They're clearly suppressing freedom of expression and dissent and democratic norms. And that's very, very disturbing um, because in a way, it's probably ultimately with a sort of similar motivation, right? The Chinese communists cannot tolerate, or at least they believe they can't tolerate the risk that their own population will see a Chinese society living in freedom and decide maybe they'd like that for themselves. And that's why I think we should be very concerned that um, the Chinese communists could take um, more aggressive, a more aggressive uh, posture vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. And, and we should be uh, very, very uh, leery of that. And that's why I think we should step mm -hmm. up our support of the Taiwanese. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Um, please keep up the fight for us um, on economic freedom and on all these issues involving China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, et cetera. Your, your leadership in the Senate is, is, is indispensable, really. We really appreciate it.
You're very kind, Walter. Thank you. Thanks for all that you do and all that Heritage does. And thanks very much for having me.